Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You can learn more about the program and our church when you download our free Living Truth app. Now, here's part three of Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 8 through 1015, called The Lord Sends a Message. I thought the, the context here, if you look at verse 19, uh, it talks about wickedness burning, and then 19 uh, says, end of the verse, no man spares his brother, and then it goes into this idea of their hunger not being satisfied, and each of them eats the flesh of his own arm, and you, you got to wonder about that picture until you realize that we're a body. And if you destroy someone close to you, guess what you've done? You've destroyed yourself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes and cherishes it. And so if you destroy your spouse with your words, since you're one in Christ, guess what you've done? You've hurt yourself. Because you're one. God says they're no longer two, but one. And so here is the root Here is how it's manifesting itself in the nation. And one of the sins of the flesh we saw was outbursts of anger. Listen to Frederick Buechner. Of the deadly sins, anger is probably the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontation still to come, to savor the last twosome morsel, both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back. In many ways, it's a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you, close quote. This is what's happening to Israel. They don't see that all of the brokenness around them is consuming themselves. And we can see it. We can step back tonight in Southern California and say, you know what? Every time we see something that is destructive or something that ails the church or the nation, it ultimately comes back to all of us. We want the church to be strong. We want families to be strong. We want the city to be strong. We want the nation to be strong because we are all part of it. And especially true of the church. And so, The issue is that Manasseh 21 devours. Manasseh will feed on Ephraim. These are two major tribes in the northern kingdom, Manasseh and Ephraim, which uh, came from Joseph. Manasseh devours Ephraim, Ephraim, Manasseh, and together they are against Judah. We should be partners, but we're enemies. Brenda and I went to a, a marriage conference some years ago. We were there as a pastor and his wife, um, we were there because everybody, every marriage needs a tune-up. We didn't even need an overhaul, but we were there to hear about what a ministry was doing, and it was a family life marriage conference, and there's probably about, I don't know, three, four, five hundred people in the room, and at one point early on in the conference, they asked us to turn to each other and say to our spouse these words, you, with eye contact, are not my enemy. You should have seen the room because Brenda and I were laughing because it was kind of funny, but there were people in the room that literally could not turn to each other and look each other in the eye because to be truthful, that person next to them that is their spouse had become their enemy. 
Very difficult moment for a lot of people who were there as a last-ditch effort to try to repair something that had been broken. They were consuming each other. And God says, the people, the tribes that are supposed to be after my heart are, are against each other. They feed on each other. They destroy each other. And in spite of all this, this is the third time, his anger does not turn away and his hand is still stretched out. And he says, woe, into chapter 10, verse 1. Woe to those who enact evil statutes. Woe is a pronouncement of judgment and uh, sorrow mingled together, and it's coming from the heart of God. Woe to those who enact evil statutes, to those who constantly record unjust decisions so as to deprive the needy of justice, tend to, and rob the poor of my people of their rights in order that widows may be their spoil and that they may plunder the orphans. Now, what will you do in the day of judgment, God says, and in the devastation which will come from afar? To whom will you flee for help? And where will you leave your wealth? God asks a question. His hand is still stretched out. The people aren't turning to God, and God says, okay, now that you've made these idols and now that judgment has fallen upon your nation, who are you going to run to? 9-11 happens in our nation and churches swell with attendance. Prayer meetings are attended like we've never seen before. And people run to God. A couple weeks later, we have short memories. And we go back to our normal lives. And we have to ask a question about God's sovereignty. We have to ask a question. In the rubble in our own country, were we asking the right questions? Are we now? I'm not sure we are. Because today we have a nation that we could say, like Abraham Lincoln said, has forgotten God. We want a God of convenience. We want a God our own way. But God is jealous for his people. He will not share his glory with another. We all understand that. And so God says, well, if you won't run to me, then here's what remains for you. Four. Nothing remains but to crouch among the captives. And by the way, this did occur in 722 BC. Assyria did capture the northern kingdom. In 586 BC, Judah was taken into captivity. So here's what remains. Crouch among the captives, and I think he's talking directly to the leaders, but to the nation. Or fall among the slain. How do you like those two options? Either you can crouch among the captives and do the, the walk to a foreign nation and become their slaves, or you can fall on another pile of dead bodies. What do you want? Curtain A or curtain B? Doesn't sound too appetizing, does it? And God's saying there is a preemptive thing that I was trying to do. See, there were some stones that went down. There were some prophets that came and spoke to you because there was a preemptive message coming to the land. I didn't want to take these radical measures against you. So God says, but you wouldn't heed the warning. So my hand won't be lifted. In spite of all this, sound familiar? His anger does not turn away and his hand is still stretched out. That's the fourth time I've seen that. Now, we say, but, but a Jewish person might say, Assyria? Why would God use a wicked nation like Assyria? Oh, Assyria is only a tool in God's hand. See, Assyria 
is pompous. They're, uh, they're cruel. But God can use anything that he wants to use to get our attention. But God says, you're not off the hook, Assyria. Woe to you, Assyria. The rod of my anger. Notice they're a tool. And the staff in whose hands is my indignation. Do you mean to say that God uses foreign nations as a tool of his judgment, as his rod and his staff? Yes. And he does it later because we see him use Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon to take Jerusalem. And in that destruction, what gets destroyed? The temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar was his tool. The king of Assyria was God's tool. Turn to Psalm 105. I want to show you something. I, I don't, just a few uh, books back. I don't have time to highlight the whole psalm, but I would encourage you to do a devotion later on Psalm 105 and note the number of times you'll see he, that God was behind all this stuff. I'll highlight a few of them so you can get the idea. Psalm 105. He permitted no man to oppress them and he reproved kings for their sakes. Psalm 105.15. Do not touch my anointed ones. Do my prophets no harm. He called for a famine upon the land. He is God. He broke the whole staff of bre- for bread or of bread. He sent a man before them, before Israel, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. Who sent Joseph to Egypt? God did. Do you know the story? Oh, it was just a nice sunny day. Joseph had a cool coat, many colors. Whistling along, just going to see my bros. <whistles> it's a beautiful day. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you're in a pit. And you're headed off to be a slave in a foreign land. Who sent Joseph to Egypt? God did. God used the brothers' jealousy to do something. And what was it? He knew a famine was coming in the land. Joseph after years in prison, gets elevated to the second highest position. His wisdom uh, is uh, one of the key aspects to foregoing the uh, famine in the land or being able to get through it. Israel survives because of it, and God keeps his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob by sending Joseph ahead, Jacob sojourns in the land, and it is because God is sovereign. See, behind history is his story. And it was God that sent Joseph uh, to Egypt. And he, and you'll see the, the uh, repetition, he sent a man before them. They afflicted his feet, 18, with fetters. He himself was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. And you'll, you'll see it again as uh, Egypt begins to be explained. He caused his people to be a very fruitful, 24 made them stronger than their adversaries. He turned their heart to hate his people, speaking of Egypt, to deal craftily with his servants. He, God, sent Moses, his servant, and Aaron, whom he had chosen. They performed his wondrous acts among them and miracles in the land of Ham. He, God, sent darkness and made it dark. 29, he turned the waters into blood. 31, he spoke in the swarm of flies. He gave, and you'll notice the repetition. What's Psalm 105 about? sovereignty of God. God rules. I don't always understand how that all 
fits together. I don't always know how to connect all the dots, but I do know this, God is sovereign. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Michael Lance says it at the end of each week, get to church. Fellowship is important. If you live in Southern California, make sure you visit the church Pastor Michael has the honor of serving as senior pastor. Living Truth Christian Fellowship is in the city of Corona on 1009 Arsenal Way. You can learn more about the church on walkintruth.com. If you listen to Walk in Truth and you're nowhere near Southern California, Pastor Michael would ask that you make an effort to get into fellowship. Being alone is needed sometimes, but it's not the way the Lord would have you live. Pastor Michael and the whole Walk in Truth team pray you get to church this week and learn more about Pastor Michael Lance, the mission of Walk in Truth, and our church at walkintruth.com. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walk in Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. God rules. I don't always understand how that all fits together. I don't always know how to connect all the dots, but I do know this, God is sovereign. And that gives me great peace, because I know God knows how the story's gonna end. So I don't have to be too upset. I don't have to be too frantic or worried because I know my God is in control. All right, final few verses. So God pronounced a woe on Assyria. And he says these words, Isaiah 10, 6. I send it, Assyria, against a godless nation and commission it, that's Assyria, against the people of my fury. Who does God call the godless nation? Well, if you're a Jewish person reading the letter, the book of Isaiah, you'd say, Assyria is the godless nation, not us. But who does God call the godless nation? Uh, Israel. He calls them a people of my fury to capture booty and to seize plunder. For you Bible students that are interested, this goes back to the prophecy of the name of Maher Shalal Hashbaz. Said that one better tonight because his name speaks of to capture booty and to plunder and to loot and to seize. And his name is symbolized here. And God says, I'm sending Assyria against a godless nation and that godless nation is my people. Yet it does not so intend. Assyria doesn't plan it out this way. That's not what's in their heart. Nor does it plan so in its heart, but rather it is its purpose to destroy and to cut off many nations. They don't think God's behind it at all. Assyria says, are not my princes all kings? Is not Kalnal like Carchemish or Hamath like Arpad or Samaria like Damascus, all cities that they took down? They're all the same to us. It doesn't matter. We just destroy everybody. God's not behind this. We're the ones behind this 10. As my hand has reached to the kingdom of the idols, whose graven images were greater than those of Jerusalem and Samaria, I want you to notice in that verse, they're saying we took down a bunch of nations that had idols, and even Jerusalem and Samaria, the south and the north, they have their idols too. Maybe, maybe less, but we took them down. They're just the same to us like everybody else, and God's behind this saying, no, they're my people. You've been a tool in my hand. They're my people. Shall I not do to Jerusalem and her images? This is the Assyrian king speaking. Just as I've done to Samaria and her idols. Notice, sadly, Israel has become like everybody else. There's no way to distinguish her. They don't, Assyria doesn't go to her and say, ah, there's a nation that serves the one true God. 
No, Assyria has lumped Israel in with everyone else because they don't look different than anybody else. And we step back from that and we say, oh my goodness. What distinguishes a people? If we have the same idols that everybody else has, then what distinguishes us? And when the enemy comes in, they just say, there's another nation. Another city will leave behind with their cracked idols on the ground. Obviously, not stronger than our gods. God's in the background saying, you don't get it. The only reason you were able to come into the city in the first place is because I allowed you to. Otherwise, I would have destroyed you at the city limits. I've done it in the past, and I'll do it again. And so it will be that when the Lord has completed all his work on Mount Zion 12, and on Jerusalem, he will say, I will punish the fruit of the arrogant heart of the king of Assyria. Don't think you're off the hook, king. And the pomp of his haughtiness, I love that. His arrogance is going to go down. Final few verses. For he said, by the power of my hand, see if this sounds familiar to you, and by my wisdom I did this. For I have understanding and I removed the boundaries of the peoples and plundered their treasures. I, like a mighty man, I brought down their inhabitants. My hand reached to the riches of the people like a nest. And as one gathers abandoned eggs, I gathered all the earth. It was easy there was not even, not one that flapped its wing or opened its beak or chirped when I came by. Nobody was squawking. Nobody was saying anything. We're too powerful, those people. Like reaching into the nest and grabbing a couple eggs, no problem. The birds didn't even squawk. They knew we were too much for them. Is the axe to boast itself? Is the axe to boast itself over the one who chops with it? Is the saw to exalt itself over the one who wields it? Can you imagine you're sawing down a tree and the saw elevates itself and turns things around and tries to use you as the saw? Or says to you, what would you ever do without me? Paul uses the same imagery in Romans 9 of the the potter and the clay, doesn't he? How shall the clay say to the potter, Why did you make me this way? And then we have to ask a question about God's sovereignty, though. That would be like a club, end of 15, wielding those who lift it, or like a rod lifting him who is not wood. You turn things around. The Assyrian king saying, I did it. Nebuchadnezzar goes out on his balcony and says, look at the great Babylon that I have built. I've done all this by my mighty hand. My, my, my. And God says, uh, wait a minute. Who did this? Do you remember King Herod? The, he came out to give a speech and the people assembled and they said, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. That's right. Yeah, tell me more. Tell me more. And an angel of the Lord struck Herod and he was eaten with worms and died. Wow. You know, in secular history, it's recorded that he got sick and he died of some sort of uh, intestinal disease. The Bible's accurate. He was struck. And so the question that we have tonight before us after a very heavy text is, Sovereignty of God, but then how can we trust him? If he's behind all this stuff and circumstances are difficult, he doesn't cause it, but he's sovereign, how can I as as clay trust that potter? I mean, if he's shaping things the way he wants history to go 
and I know my free will plays in that. So how can I trust him? And I love what John Corson said. He says, until I take another look and I see that those hands have nail wounds in them and blood is running into the clay. And I realize, wait a minute, if the potter loved me enough to die for me, then I think I can trust him enough to stay on his wheel to make me what he wants me to be. See, that's really what the issue comes down to, isn't it? God wants us to do what? To trust him. But so many times I'm on a wheel and I can be squeaky. Can you guys relate? What are you doing, God? And God has to take me back to the cross and say, Michael, do you remember when I saved you? Do you remember where you were headed? Have you looked at the hands that are shaping you? Do you see the nail wounds? If I loved you enough to die for you, trust me with the other aspects of your life. I've got it. I'm God. You're not. Believe in me. Trust in me. Tonight, I think that's really what God wanted. And you can see that the beautiful rule of Jesus is in stark contrast to the rule of man. A child will be born to us, Isaiah 9, 6. A son will be given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Father, we thank you that you love us and we thank you for your faithfulness and we thank you that you're in control and that you do work all things together for good to those who love you. Father, we confess that tonight we don't understand everything that happens and our heart hurts for many things in this world. But you're so majestic in all your ways that you exploit evil for your good purposes. We have a phrase in our world that is famous. We say it's all good. The truth is, Father, it's not all good. Some things just flat out are not good. But you work all things together for good. Because you're so majestic in your attributes that you can take man's evil intentions... Joseph's brothers were not off the hook. Assyria was not off the hook. Judas was not off the hook. Yet you took their evil actions and manipulated them or exploited them, better said, for your good purposes. That's how majestic you are, God. So help us in the times when we don't understand to take another look at the potter's hands and trust that you will work all things together for good. That you will shape us and mold us into the image of your Son. And we will stay on your potter's wheel to let you make us something beautiful because you do make all things beautiful in their time. We love you, Father, in Jesus' name. You've been listening to The Lord Sends a Message, Part 3 on Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 8 through 1015. Remember, if you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to Walk in Truth on the Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, the Living Truth app is a great way to stay up to date with what's going on here at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona. There's Bible studies, family events, and of course, worship services. If you're out of the area, the Living Truth app has a lot for you too, like watching and listening to Pastor Michael's latest teachings. You can download the Living Truth app from your app store. The Living Truth app is the one with the red logo with the pillars. Now here's Pastor Michael. 
If I were to ask you, what message do you think the Lord is sending to us right now? What do you think it would be? How would you answer that question if an unbelieving friend said to you, what do you think God's trying to say to us right now? Look around the world. Uh, It's not just about our country. We have listeners in other nations. But the question is, what is God saying to us as the church right now? You see, we tend to want to answer that question in the world, or maybe we think about politics or whatever. But the Lord has a message for his people right now. What do you think it is? Well, the best way we can discern that is to read the word of God, be in tune with his spirit, see what he's saying to us individually and corporately. And of course, he speaks through his word, but he often will speak to our hearts about where we need to be. And it is so wonderful that you are opening up your heart to the word of God, because that's where you're going to hear the voice of God. This is Pastor Michael Lance. You're listening to Walk in Truth, and the Lord is always working, always sending a message, and that is that we would become more and more like Jesus and be his ambassadors and spread the good news of the gospel. I pray that you're doing that. I thank you if you're partnering with us right now at Walk in Truth. We deeply appreciate it. And we are going to look at the shoot that will spring forth from the stem of Jesse as we move now into a great message in Isaiah 10 and 11, talking about this incredible prophecy about the coming Messiah. We'll meet you right here tomorrow. And join us tomorrow for Pastor Michael Lance's teaching in Isaiah chapter 10, verse 16 through 1110, called, A Shoot Will Spring from the Stem of Jesse. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.